Lamis. Hi, Isra. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you today? I'm good. Um, and also hi to anybody listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we want to invite you to take time out with this podcast. My two black women in London and Stockholm. We've carved out a space to check in with each other and compare the Afro-Swedish and Black British experiences of living, loving, working and parenting. Our families are mixed, Sudanese and European. Yalla, join us for a sweet tea and a chat. And I actually have a sweet tea. I've actually got a coffee this time around. I'm so on brand. (laughs) One of us has to be. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to have to do the duty every time we record. <laughs> How are you? I miss you. <laughs> oh, I miss you too. I'm I'm well. I, I went through a few weeks of feeling really, I, really lonely. There's not another word for it. Um, and I think because the winter just took its sweet time this this year. Aww. Um. But I'm, I'm starting to feel a little bit more at home in my city. It's very warm now for Stockholm. So um, yeah. we get about 20 to 24 degrees every day now for the last few days, even when it's raining. Oh, that's lovely. That's definitely going to shake any kind of blues, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or help. Oh, well, I'm sorry oh. you were feeling like that. It's been a, a crappy, crappy year in many ways. Um, but... Yeah, let's let, let's talk. I I've been I'm trying to work out how I've been feeling. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, you get in that vibe of saying, How are you, how are you, how are you? And then you think, Oh, actually, how am I? How am I yeah. doing? I think I'm doing okay. I think I'm yeah, just just carrying on. Um putting yeah. a smile on my face and trying to get on with it. And and behind that is, yeah. is the need to connect like this. Yeah, well, I mean, you know what? It is interesting. So the title of our podcast, thinking about that idea of there being spaces in between where uh, you can find time to ask yourself these questions. How how are things within a certain context, right? And in our last um, episode, we we touched on the context of Oh, that difficult thing of being a parent, being in a mixed family, that kind of, um, we didn't really want to say burden in the end, but that that uh, thing on your mind of passing on a language and a pride in a, in a heritage um, and how actually it is a kind of, it's a, a daily um, challenge, a daily chore almost. Mm. it has to be your project doesn't it for for it to have any impact you've got to it's got to be on your mind at at some point of every single day it's a lot it's a lot it it's a lot in that we decided to be spouses and we decided to be parents um and we decided on specific careers Uh, I feel like the weight of the matter comes from all of these designated responsibilities uh, in the different parts of our our lives. 
the actual question of passing on the crown or the privilege uh, of having access to more than one language and having access to more than one culture is quite light on its own. Um, I, I was more burdened personally by finding the middle ground and, and being a third culture child before there was anyone, you know, sitting around in a conference calling people like me third culture kids. <laughs> before the, the term existed. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, once people gathered around in conference rooms and coined the term, <laughs> it, yeah. it lifted that that work from my shoulders. Yeah, totally. So maybe just a quick recap for somebody who didn't hear the last one. Um, both of our cultural heritage is, is Sudanese from Sudan. And we're, we're both married um, to <clears throat> partners who are European. Yours is Swedish and mine is English um, and we both have children and we're kind of navigating at the moment because they're so young we're navigating on their behalf really this aspect of their identity and that aspect of our identity as a family right um, and we've kind of zeroed in very specifically on on Sudan because that's sort of what we share but but you know a lot of other people have this with with various other heritages obviously mm. um I in sort of my local area my daughter's um what she's exposed to um we have quite a few uh, people who are Japanese in our in our networks um and I I think it has really helped my daughter in particular to embrace the idea that well actually she has something else going on too you know because um she'll often hear that these parents either it's in a mixed family or it, it, it is actually mainly a mixed family where the parent will speak to their child in Japanese and they'll sort of have a little back to forth about something almost like a negotiation about like oh you know is it time to go do we really have to go mm -hmm. or can I have another five minutes or whatever um and I think she was quite sort of seduced by it almost this kind of uh you know their private discourse um that they were very happy to chat away in that way and and I think it, it kind of helped her get much more open to saying well you know actually I because I, I definitely had some reluctance from her probably because I wasn't super consistent and we talked a bit about how I didn't you know I didn't start it early enough inverted commas <laughs> um, and I definitely had some resistance from her especially if she'd be tired so I don't want to be Arabic now I'm tired um so <laughs> like wow I think it helped her to sort of see well actually you know maybe this can be our little thing um but yeah it's definitely it's these are definitely challenges or or, or privileges um that that lots of people have in lots of different contexts um yeah i'm gonna take you back a, a few seconds in your quotation there in quoting your daughter <laughs> I don't want to be Arabic now. Yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> it's quite, it really, really strikes me um, that it's about being. Uh, in our household, we've always 
use terms like, oh, I don't understand you. Just say it again in this language. Or, um, no, I don't want to speak this because I don't have the words for that. Mm -hmm. And it was more about behavior and vocabulary. But but this idea of, oh, no, I'm too tired to be something <laughs> else is, is really fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that. You're right. It is kind of um, almost... It's all, it just sort of confirms this element of effort. And, an identity. And, yeah, an identity. Um, and, I, and I guess you know on on lots of levels she's just more comfortable speaking English um, <laughs> aren't we so all she, let me so she'd rather, yeah exactly that's kind of what I wanted to say to her like you don't think I'm tired you don't think I'm re-grasping for the words here I'm doing this for you right <laughs> like, I would be much easier for me to just patter away in English but but I do I mean I think I, I also want to take you back a bit to something you said it really struck me that you said somebody holding a little baby heard you speaking um Arabic to your kids and was kind of actually spoke to you about feeling inspired to to speak to their own child in in a different language as well and kind of yeah. pass that on um and and I do it it really makes me think about the number of people I know who are mixed race or sort of mixed heritage in some way and certainly there's more than one language in, involved in their parents but who did not get that other language passed on at all and these are people I know as adults and I I know that they regret that they wish that they had you know had that within their reach in some way and often you know pay copious amounts of money to have evening classes and crash courses and mm. um and so it's really tough because I you can't judge a parent right you don't know what they were going through um and what what challenges they faced on their time on their energy on conflicts within themselves like there's all sorts of reasons I'm sure why all these parents did not pass like an iota of, of their own language on um but I but for me it's definitely something that I've kind of noticed a lot of people my age um who say like oh yeah I have uh you know a whatever parent my parent is in I have an Indian dad or I have a I actually know somebody whose mother is Swedish um but she she didn't uh, teach her Swedish um, you know, I have a lot like a lot of these people in my networks who just kind of the majority language. It's not so much that it won, but just that it was not challenged. Um, and then seeing these adults sort of regret that really has made me think, well, this is not the easiest thing to do. But I, I, I don't want my kids to look back and think, why well, didn't even try, you know? There's, there's like there are some very simple things that we could have learned um why didn't why didn't you even just like give it a go but but definitely I, I don't like being on the other end of resistance um which we are which we are uh, naturally uh, being parents, parents to to <laughs> small children is that we are on the other end of resistance yeah. um please put your socks and shoes on put your socks and shoes on have you got your socks and shoes on? 
Yeah. Why haven't you? And then please put your socks and shoes. And then it gets to this point where you're begging or shouting yeah. or, you know, uh, uh, issuing threats. If we don't get out uh, in time, then you're going to miss your song circle. <laughs> like, yeah. that doesn't work. You know, there'll be no more buses coming for us if we don't get out in time. I mean, and it goes on and on. And usually for me in Sweden, um, uh, and so not only am I on the other side of resistance, not wanting to be, but usually also being a Swede while I'm doing it. So very much feeling into what your daughter said. I'm too tired to be too Swedish. Tired. And on the other side of resistance. <laughs> yeah. And so choosing you... to speak a language that's not easy for me to articulate myself in. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that, I mean, that's actually these kind of like day-to-day um you know mo- moments of I guess conflict isn't really the right word but they, they are just friction that, friction yeah the, the day-to-day friction um uh, is that so do you do that always in Swedish or do you try yes. and do it in Arabic and then no do you never do are it you Arabic? kidding have I not told you Lamis? I so have. I, in my head, I never you know, tell them off huge... in Arabic. Oh, never lovely. tell them off in Arabic. Arabic is the language of love, of food, of fart jokes. I mean, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> it's love, music, food, and fart jokes. I mean, yeah. Do you have quite a a big um, line in fart jokes, or you just have one or two that you tell again and again? <laughs> they 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 love the words yeah. for passing gas, and yeah. they use them for effect when they meet Sudanese family or other grown ups who speak Arabic. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! So they are using the Arabic that you are lovingly passing on. They're using it to shame you, Isra. <laughs> well, actually, I think it's a way for them to lay claim to that toilet humor that's that's popular for <laughs> a very long six or seven years, right? Yeah. Um, actually, and I don't showing... think my daughter's there yet. What? Well, How did you miss it? She's five, so I don't think we're we're. I think it's gonna come. Oh, it's um, been present for us from age two um, with the first child. And there's a big um, market for it here. So children's books and toys. I mean, there's literally a toy characters called Pee and Poo. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So maybe this is actually a cultural um, kind of, I thought so Sweden and I said as much I've said why are the children in this in the Nordics so obsessed with toilet humor and then I realized that when we interact with my Sudanese family my extended Sudanese family their toilet humor is uh, is alive and well yeah and they're happy to fall right back into it with my children I'm like you know what this is not (laughs) one-sided In a way, I guess toilet humor is just uh, it's just because so much of what you speak to children about for a long time is about mastering their own bodily functions, right? So <laughs> the so when guess, and where. <laughs> yeah, so I, I can kind of see that. I can see why it might translate really nicely. 
Um, but 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 what do you mean? So you you made a decision to only speak to them positively in Arabic? Is this, yeah. Is this a theory that you've read about and kind of, or is this a formulated, you know, trademark? Isra? This is a <laughs> trademark Isra al Kogeli Hegstrom strategy. I'm loving it. I absolutely love it, and I think you definitely need to trademark it. Mm. Um, I tell them off in English. Yeah. The a- <laughs> the angrier I am, the stronger the English. And uh, I realized that they were going to be attracted to English anyway from an early age because of all of the Disney and Pixar films and, you know, the things that they do at school. English is introduced really early on, even from first school class, which is like the six-year-old um, curriculum or the curriculum for six-year-olds, which is, I guess, kindergarten. Yeah. Um, so I thought, okay, how do I here even though I'm most comfortable in English yeah right? English is the language of strict rules and consequences angry mom frustrated nice. mom but impatient also that mom. kind of works doesn't it because it means that when you're in a hurry you don't have to reach for the words <laughs> yeah because they're just gonna sort of slip off your tongue um so th- so that's really interesting so in terms of your day-to-day that's how you're doing it I I I wonder then, will they, um, how are you, oh yeah, I guess words like shoes and, you know, time and bus, they'll just kind of work those out through your loving moments when you're saying them in Arabic? Right, so they, they've also quickly um, both recognised that their languages are related. So they fall into this really, like self-constructed swinglish. Um, <laughs> for example, um, toothpaste is creme. Tand is tooth. So my son would say, uh, trying to speak English, can I have the tanned cream? <laughs> nice. Very and I'd nice. say... <laughs> Yes, you can have the toothpaste. Very nice. Um, th- that kind of that kind of thing went on uh, for a while, and now it's happening with our daughter. Yeah, that's lovely, and I guess that's also part of that kind of your identity as a family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that everyone, you know, families have their own little traditions, their own little phrases, ways of doing things, and yours is the what did you call it sweet swinglish swinglish (laughs) you've got some swinglish going on um day to day and arabic on its own as well right yeah sometimes i find that i say a sentence in one language and then the next sentence comes in another yeah and i've realized that happening more and more often yeah um and i so i'll say something like hurry up in swedish when do they and yeah. then I'll say in English, you know, we really don't have time for this. Yeah. And then I'll follow it up in Arabic. Yalla habibti. Anam yeah. Like, you know, so like I'm here for you. I'm waiting for you in a comforting Arabic. But you best hurry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I like that. I do like that. Because as you know, I'm still kind of trying to work out my methodology. 
<laughs> um, oh, my methodology is just like chaos. <laughs> clearly, changing. Yeah, yours is in flux, and mine is um, fledgling. Um, <laughs> flux and fledgling. I love it. But, but I, but I have to say, I kind of um, what I don't want or need uh, is something else that that could turn into a source of conflict um, or a source of kind of rebellion in any way. Right. Um, but so I, I do quite like the idea of using Arabic for nice things. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is really cool. That is really cool. You know, um, Arabic for play as well has been quite successful. Um, yeah. we've, we've got these puzzles, uh, like an alphabet train. Nice. Um, some flashcards. Um, um, yeah, just a couple of things that from time to time we can play without a struggle. Um, so we talked a little bit about um, also Sudan and and actually, it, I guess, introducing, but also kind of constantly reintroducing um, Sudan to our children, you know, for, from afar. Uh, in a way that that can make it a, a positive part of their identity, right? Right. Um, and I guess for us, you know, both of us having having had you know different experiences, but also very similar in terms of having grown up um, largely outside of Sudan, uh, we ourselves had this this way of relating to a place that we are super connected to uh but not in um, right. and so for them it's like a step further right absolutely like one step further and and um i said uh, i sort of started to explore this with my daughter and i mentioned it in our previous episode um just about doing a little bit of research uh into sudan for she needed to get some like facts about a country she could choose a country this was a, a sort of something she'd been set at school mm-hmm. um so we watched like some youtube videos and had a look at some books about we, we were looking like the nile we were looking at the pyramids in sudan um and she said this really cute thing where we the um the video was saying how you know Sudan has between 200 and 255 pyramids which is more than in Egypt she said to me um oh you know well done mama good for you (laughs) and I thought oh that's so interesting so she really sees it as my um yeah like she sees it as totally me rather than she doesn't see that there's a um a complexity there for me right right <laughs> like, but but yeah but but she was happy about it she was happy to get these facts um and we yeah we've kind of I don't know because you, you said you had a little bit where um you kind of have, had done a little project yes we we had I guess just a stroke of luck in that um, we had been to Sudan with our eldest uh, once already, then had a second visit when our youngest was a year old. And so so it was quite present in their minds as a place. Yeah. That's lovely. 
and they um, enjoyed their time. Right. And it was like, there is uh, Jiddu and, 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 uh, and uh, Mom Habab's house. Yeah. And that's like, and they're there sometimes. And they have cousins there and they will visit there. Um, it, it was, it was then quite lucky that the nursery school decided that they wanted to do uh, an, a hot air balloon ride around the world to countries where the personnel and the children had connections with. Oh, I love that. And so some other parents had come in and spoken about uh, China and uh, Iran. Um, uh, had spoken about... Oh, sorry. And then another parent had come in and spoken about Laos. And then the teachers, one from Romania, one from Cuba. And when it was our turn, we came in. um, Our family had come in and spoken about Finland. And so we were... This is so cute. Yeah, we were asked if we could sing the MC Wimsy Spider. Oh, and I had already yeah. translated that. Remember, I sent you the recording. Yeah. So we we sang the MC Wimsy Spider in Sudanese Arabic, which was hilarious because they performed it to me in Finnish uh, before. And I was like, okay, let's see if this is any easier for them to grasp in the Arabic than Finnish. And Finland is right next door here to Sweden. <laughs> Um, and I think they were equally foreign uh, t- to the kids. Um, and then we counted to 10. Cute. I love We it. gave the kids their names written in the Arabic letters. Yeah. And I thought all of that is sort of an immersive experience. But what I miss as a Sudanese um, and, you know, having lived before the Internet, I mean, I know, right? That I had a whole life before That's the internet. That's a real burden, isn't it? That is a <laughs> real burden. That is kind of. Will we ever um, recover from the? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> the scarring of this, these years that we had to yes. endure. And the, I, I missed having a, a visual archive in my mind of this place that they told time and again I belonged to. Hmm. And so I, in my own work, um, went up to the northern province, which was by then designated the northern state. Um, um, yeah, in a process of disorientation from from the regime that was uh, in power for thirty years. But yeah, so they they didn't sort of reallocated spaces a bit. But I tried to trace. Um, a journey along areas where both my mother and father's four fathers and foremothers had either traveled through or were born to. Um, I did this over a process of two weeks and just photographed everything and everyone and built my own visual archive. Yeah, so when that. we presented to the kids, the first thing I did was to identify uh, images of the Lion Temple 
um, uh, the temples at the Naka'a, uh, where, where you have beautiful engravings of the elephants and the lion god. Um, yeah. not so just did you do this for the project or you yeah. did it as a kind of personal... You did I it mean, with the project in mind. Yes, I had those pictures anyway from my travels. Yeah. And then I called a cousin who is actually the official park ranger for the Red Sea, um, the UNESCO World Heritage designated areas uh, where they're like preserving job, the please. coral reefs. I know. What? What a gift that job is. And he directed me to a video on the the streaming site Vimeo. Uh, so it didn't come up in searches. You had to kind of go into Vimeo and search. And yeah. it was by the Conservation Society. An exquisite video of sea footage um, of Sudan waters. Oh, that's nice. So that's yeah. what we showed the kids. So it was kind of Red Sea diving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they is- saw sharks and dolphins and stingray and incredible coral reefs and like colorful fish. And then so moving away from that idea of, you know, uh, uh, I guess the safari animal experience, which is sort of what I got in my childhood. Yeah. Which is not super authentic to Sudan, really. Not anymore, to be honest. Um the yeah. conflict um, between the north and the south meant that many of most of the wildlife um, moved. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. And uh, I, I, I really like that. I like the idea of sort of not just that your kids have had that lovely firsthand experience themselves, um, but that you, you were conscious of like creating a visual, almost like a like a Pinterest board for them. Yeah. <laughs> That they could sort of dial into when when like accessing this idea of, of Sudan, because it is an idea and it's an idea that we at, at this stage of their lives, we're really the curators of it for them. Um, and yeah. I, I definitely found it tough, like when I was growing up, because we left Sudan when I was five um, and we went back on holiday when I was seven. And then we didn't go back until I was 21. Mm. Um so I had that like very, very big gap and really, really sort of, you know, formative years, really, where I, I had not set foot um, in Sudan. And, and um, I think this is probably true for a lot of children of migrants or child migrants, where the way that you leave the, the home country or the reason that you leave a home country or the reason that you're not going back um, you know, might not be all sweetness and light. And yeah. that that's that's tough as well. That affects how, so like certainly like for us, there were political reasons. My dad was not able to go back for a really long time. Um, and that was, they were pretty open with me about that stuff. So actually it, there was, a, I think a sort, it was kind of a source of like negativity and I guess maybe elements of worry and fear um but then at the same time they loved Sudan and they were super kind of connected culturally um you know very very authentic and I guess it's relevant because it means that that affected 
my interaction with the culture so much as I was growing up mm. um and it's a it's a troubled place and like this is this is sometimes what happens um so I I certainly had no idea about red sea diving um about I you know all sorts of quirks fart jokes you know all that I was pretty sort of se- separated culturally mm. um but it's not okay for that to mean that I can make it inaccessible to my kids. Um, so I've sort of, I'm doing the work, I'm doing work to, in order to make it um, like something that they are attracted to and that it feels um, like something that's not going to be too, too, too kind of, intimidating or conflicting for them do you know what I mean I I know what you mean I I find um the experience of uh later generations uh families who had immigrated from other places uh, in the U.S. while I was growing up really informed my idea of what it meant to assimilate or take on a national identity and to celebrate um, old country as it was called. And (laughs) for me, Sudan is old country. Yeah. And Um, I guess for the kids, it will be. Yeah. And for the kids, it should also be that old country. And I embrace fully that I, I too am a migrant and uh, I'm a Swedish citizen and this is my country. I vote here. This is not a right that was given to me in Sudan. Uh, Not because of my gender uh, or my race. It was just not a right any of us were given uh, because of the um, political climate. Um, We we didn't have democratic elections uh, in my lifetime where where I was uh, uh, of age to vote. And here I vote. Here I go in and I, I have a say about who represents me on the um, municipality level, in parliament. Uh, and so I take quite seriously my identity as a Swedish citizen. When my children describe to people uh, who ask, where are you from? Uh, they say, oh, um, our father and us we're we're from here but our mom is from sudan right <laughs> so you're 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 singled out by, right and i let that family. i let that go for quite the quite a while and then i started yeah. to say we're all from sweden yeah. and um i have heritage in sudan yeah i mean i guess these things that they're not uh, it's a tough one because you you don't want to in any way be uh, negating your heritage and nor do you want your kids to pick up on any sort of, um, you know, hesitancy around Sudan. No, I, of course Because not. I want them to, to, you know, to feel proud and to sort of be interested. But, but at the same time, um, it, like, you know, I'm British. I feel British. And I, I know that the kids will, will feel that much more than they'll feel anything else. 
Um, but I guess what we're giving them is uh, really easy access to the idea that all nationality and all identity is super complicated um not just for them but for them it's just a little bit more visible right because we're because because you know we're afro-arab so that means that there's but we're married to people who are white and so that means that the that the kids might just look a little bit different from other swedish or other english kids um, yeah and so that question where are you guys from you know if if you were french but and white um you would still have a lot of these um interesting mixes going on in your household right you'd have languages you'd have different like cultural stuff going on but perhaps as you're walking down the street or as you're meeting people perhaps people wouldn't say so where are you from to your kids <laughs> um so so i think it's kind of it's a double um it's a sort of yeah again i do i do not want to say burden but it's definitely a double consideration that that there's going to be that question um and so they better be proud of the answer and they better own it <laughs> because otherwise it's really it's really tough like if they say like how would you feel if if people said to your kids oh so where I, you know I, I see your skin color where are you from well <laughs> um, it, it will happen it will it happen, happen to them if it hasn't already happened to them when I wasn't present but what if I mean, it hasn't happened to them in the schools because it's it's actually something that is being discussed widely here in Sweden that uh, grown people who who have been born and raised here and speak um, flawless Swedish are asked in the workplace, on dates, wherever. So where are you from? And say they Stockholm or Malmö. Yeah. Or Göteborg. Uh, and the second follow-up question is, no, but really from the beginning, where are you from? Yeah. But the thing is, I, I really think it depends on, on the person and what their agenda is. Um, because I know, I mean, that's like a, a real thing here in the UK. And um, there's this really great line in, I don't know if you've seen, um, I May Destroy You, uh, which is... Yes, I'm familiar with the show. I haven't yeah, watched Michaela it. Yeah, Michaela Coyle. She's, she's a great black British writer. She's of Ghanaian heritage. And there's this line in it where um, there's two, two black men and they're saying, one of them says to the other, where are you from? And he says, it depends who's asking. Like, you know, if a white guy asks me, I'll say, like London, I'll say Peckham. But as you're asking, um, it's Nigeria. And so <laughs> I think it, it does depend. And that's not him in any way being less British. But he right. understands that what you're saying is, oh, okay, so there's some heritage there. Yeah. And let, let's discuss it. But So it totally depends on who's asking. But I, I, I think what I was meaning was, what if your kids were asked, okay, so where are you from? How would you feel if their answer was, just Sweden and if they were not if they just did not uh, feel a connection to or feel prepared to even say oh well there is you know something else going on there because I think that would be really weird I'd almost feel like well you're storing up trouble for yourself mm. psychologically if you're in this mindset of no well I well I'm Swedish I'm just Swedish that's it I'm Swedish nope not not gonna you know yeah. think about anything else and I know that that wouldn't happen to your kids because you've you've done the work and like you've introduced them to 
um to Sudan but but it's it's ongoing work isn't it it's work right that we'll have to keep if it back should to. happen I wouldn't it wouldn't trigger fear in me um, no. I I feel uh as much as, um people who have grown up here that I need to put on an armor when I leave my door every and that is the armor of um, my basic human right to be here, to take up space, to learn a language, to make a new life. And I came here as what they they classified me in the migration board as a love immigrant. Oh, <laughs> yeah, a love immigrant. And I may not have been fleeing war or conflict or poverty. Um, but we're all being sort of seen, perceived in the same way in society. Yeah. All of yeah. us who have moved here. Um, and those who came 40 years ago and those who came, you know, two months ago are viewed the same. And we have a, quite the right wing wave in our both our local governments and our parliament and so should my children respond by adamantly uh, insisting that they are swedish then good on them but i know what's in their hearts yeah yeah that is lovely and and i actually think that that's um it's part of accepting like as a parent that you, you know we do not own these children <laughs> and we do not own their you know how they go about things and how they view their own identity and particularly because neither of us is uh, a mixed race mixed heritage mm. um you know so swedish sudanese or, or british sudanese like we're that's not us no so so they are having to forge ahead with something that we um we can kind of guide them in it, but it's up, but it's up to them, really. Yeah. yeah. It really is. Yeah. On that note, <laughs> um, for for this for this chat, we'll probably be winding down, I guess. Yeah. 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 I'd like to remind you, though, that at one point you mentioned. Um, that it was a crown that we were giving them. And I, I really I really feel like it is. Uh, society or people in general within a society have always managed to differentiate themselves uh, to try to find features that, that they could amplify to make them uh, more special or stronger than their neighbor, the person closest to them. Uh, and I think that at times when they need it and want it, they can bring out the crown and wear it with pride. The crown of, you know, being multilingual, uh, multicultural, um, uh, mixed race. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I like that, that it's actually something they can, they can have in their arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> For the war that is life. Yes. <laughs> Arsenal and armor. Here's the minority stress speaking through us, you see. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, what have wow. we done? <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, well, lovely to 
chat a little bit about that today. Um, I would really like anybody listening um, to reach out if some of this has struck a chord, particularly uh, if you maybe are a little bit further along in this experience than we are, because obviously our children are quite young. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's anybody listening who's kind of contributed to the to the mixed identity of their own child and and seen um, things develop that that maybe we haven't that we've not discussed now because we haven't foreseen it. Like, mm. Are you us in five years' time? So <laughs> like, yeah, you know, give us the benefit of your hindsight. Um, yeah. Send us a, a voicemail. A question or or write to us and yeah. um we'll try and yes. make it possible for you to send a voicemail i think i think we can do that um i would love to hear a voicemail right yeah. just want to hear someone's voice <laughs> <laughs> lockdown's been long <laughs> um, yeah yeah okay but yeah re- reach out in whatever um method you see available and yeah we'd love to talk more talk more about this stuff so thank you from Isra and Lamise in the space in between and tune in to more of our podcasts. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm.